1974, 14-year-old Margaret Fox traveled to Mount Holly, New Jersey to start a babysitting job for a family she'd never met, and she was never seen again. It's been 43 years. From the Burlington County Times, this is 43 Years Gone. I'm Lisa Ryan. Last week, we talked about the numerous branches of law enforcement that have run down countless leads and tested samples of Margaret's DNA against that of unidentified remains. All to no avail. Although Margaret's case remains open across levels of law enforcement, her disappearance remains shrouded in mystery. Law enforcement has cleared up some possibilities through their work on the case, however. A dozen persons of interest were investigated and cleared over the last 43 years, but even that has led to unanswered questions. I think there's, you know, persons of interest that, you know, that conflict. You know, the prosecutor's office say absolutely, the FBI says absolutely not. I think that we have to identify the persons of interest, identify why they were a person of interest at that time, and say, you know, why did this person think this and this person think that? That was Burlington City Police Captain John Fine referring to a Mount Holly resident whose elimination as a person of interest in Margaret's case has been debated since it occurred. He was developed as a suspect through my, um, through the prosecutor's office. They got, a, they got information from a Holly Police Department that they arrested this guy and that he was a repeat offender for lewdness in 1978. They believe he spoke with the British accent. They, uh, the FBI and the prosecutor's agent arranged to meet him. That's Michael D'Alessio, a retired Willingboro detective who has volunteered to analyze Margaret's case for Captain Fine and the city police department. It's since moved from the location that I played up there in, in my Holly he moved the tabernacle. They went out to talk to him. He was away in Florida. They re-interviewed him uh, four months later, and the result of the interview through the state police, or through the FBI was, he's not our guy. Okay, so why, why was that determined? Uh, he had an alibi. The alibi was he was a ham radio operator, and that uh, he uh, was on the radio at... 11.05 a.m. and then in that morning, he had detailed records going back years. Uh, the FBI agent concluded that there was no way in the time frame, in that two-hour time frame, that he could have snatched her, abused her, killed her, and buried her. Okay, so would you say you feel that he has been definitively ruled out? He's dead. Okay. He died in 98. Or 97. He was a uh, he was 65 years old or 63 years old at the time of Margaret Fox's parents. But again, this is from the FBI reports, the extensive interview they did with him and his wife, and they talked about camping. They talked about everything, but you know, he the agent immediately after reviewing the records and um, his past history ruled him out. Okay. What the prosecutor's agent did. not Right. Um, there was a conflict there. Who do you believe? The FBI that did, you know, if the fingerprints that the FBI had on file didn't come back to him, he was in the military, and at the time, everybody in the military was fingerprinted. That would be in the FBI's database. Those prints didn't come back to him. So if they were his prints on a ransom note, they would be back. Telesio has said his role in this investigation is one of analysis, and he's working on looking at the evidence to come to understand both sides' conclusions. When his research is done, he'll present his analysis to city police, who will then decide where to go in the investigation from there. You have to see which paths they took and see if we can make them meet. And if they didn't meet, 
and which way did they go and understand which way they went. You know, you have, uh, what, you know, what D'Alessio explains is you have an FBI agent who says, no, that's not him. Then you have a county detective say, yes, that's definitely probably our guy. Well, why do they think that? And you have to understand both perspectives and, and view from their viewpoint of why they thought not or why they thought so and come up with your own conclusion on which way we should go. City police want to close Margaret's case, but Fine said time is against them. In my view, the passage of time has presented advantages and challenges here. On one hand, the longer a case goes on, the more likely it is that witnesses and investigators may pass on or find that their memories have faded. On the other hand, time can also loosen some key players' lips. I can tell you that you know there's been cases where where the offender has died, but there might have been someone that knew about it, that had information, but now that the offender has passed away and is no longer on earth, they might come forward with that information. Or, you know, not wishing death on anyone, if there's someone that's terminally ill, or if there's someone that's dying soon and they have that information, help us you know, solve that case, solve this case, help us find her remains or locate her remains or locate where she's living at now um, prior to, you know, that information going away forever. Advancements in technology also allow law enforcement to look for someone using Margaret's social security number. And in the age of social media, they've also looked for her there. Like the DNA tests, these searches haven't yielded anything yet. Still, Fine said technology plays an important role in investigations like this one. Technology is very important because now we could probably do uh, a lot more checks in a less evasive means. If it's in someone's backyard that wasn't there 40 years ago, they may allow us to check the ground um, with the sonar radar or with the x-ray machine compared to checking the yard and digging it up and looking. Right. Know? So they may be more inclined to allow us because it's less invasive. Okay. DNA-wise, if we do find somebody, I think DNA is going to be pertinent to identify her. Because this 43-year-old case is a missing person case and not a homicide, some hold on to the possibility that investigators won't have to look for remains, but will instead find Margaret alive and well. Back in 1974, investigators quickly ruled out the theory that Margaret had run away, and D'Alessio said that unless someone manages to end up in some remote expansive wilderness, living off the grid is all but impossible in 2017. When you ask investigators what they believe happened to Margaret, you get a variety of answers. I talked to original investigators, Lieutenant Detectives Burr and McBride, as well as detectives assigned to the case later on, Lieutenant Detectives Barnes and Elbertson, and Captain Fine. D'Alessio was also present for this conversation. Yeah, I would not think she was alive, especially with all the new social media and everything that's out there. And I just don't think that... I think somebody would have... Somehow she would have surfaced mm-hmm. if she was still alive. Yeah. Especially I, after all this time. I think with social media... Maybe someone would have been looking for her. Or she might have, like, reached out to someone on Facebook that she went to elementary school with in St. Paul's. Right. And just said, hey, you know, even she used a, um, a pseudonym or um, a fake name, you know, Margaret, or they call me Maggie, yeah. and her maiden name. Just like Jack said, it's for her family, she would have at least said, listen, I'm fine. Hey, don't look for me. I'm okay. Here's a, you know, this is who I am. This is a code word I did as a kid or something. But I think out of respect for her family, she would at least let somebody know she was alive if she really was. Okay. Just from reading the case yeah, and everything. card that was unsigned just because of her. I'm fine. 
on the location. I agree. I don't think she's left Mount Holly either. I think she made it to Mount Holly. Something happened. She met up with the person that tried to draw her there. It was probably some type of predator. You know, like you said, could have been a sexual predator. We don't know, but it was definitely a predator trying to get a 13-year-old girl like they do on TV now. They set up the, I think it was something along those lines, and probably went south. She died, and she's probably buried someplace in Mount Holly. I would tend to believe that myself. In 1974, every branch of law enforcement that touched Margaret's case could take it in any direction they wanted, according to Fine. Everybody wanted to take credit for something that happened. It wasn't like a shared thing where law enforcement did it. It was like we did it. Okay. The terminology you would use. And that's, that's wrong. If you call it wrong. It always has been. Identified as working in silos. That's, that's what the terminology would be, is that in the 1970s, each agency worked in a silo, which means that none of them kind of intercooperated with one another. Right. They all played in their own sandbox and nobody really shared. So what about that makes it more difficult to, um, you know, come to conclusions in a case? What are the challenges in of working in silos? Well, you, you can't get the information you need. Much to my chagrin. The silo effect impacted me, too. We reported, I think it was June 9th of 1975, um, that John Marshall had been calling other girls with this same fake kid story prior to Margaret Ellen's disappearance. Are you familiar with that? What was the date? Uh, it was June 9th of 1975. 75. So I think we reported it well after it happened. This, happened in this was in 75. Right. I think we were a little late getting that part of the story. Yeah. Um, but they were saying before she disappeared, people were getting calls. Let's check Facebook. I don't know if that's... Okay, so you're not sure about that. Um, and then in terms of the ransom call and the subsequent letters that came into the family, um, you know, do you have any hunches about that? Did you feel like it was real? I wasn't involved in that. Okay. No. As you heard, Delessio was aware of things Burr and McBride weren't. That's because today, law enforcement agencies collaborate on not only Margaret's case, but also all of the others. We work pretty much seamlessly with the FBI, state police, and prosecutor's office on this case. Anytime that we've had a call them, they're more than willing to give us whatever information we need. So in the 70s, definitely there were some barriers, but I can tell you those barriers are no longer here. City detectives have analyzed all the records on Margaret's case two or three times over the years, according to Fine. But D'Alessio was the first in a decade or more to examine all the different branches' work and takeaways from the case. And he's the first from outside of Burlington City to dive so deep into Margaret's disappearance. My goal is to just analyze all the data and try to um, see where the reports are going, where, you know, what the FBI did, what the prosecutor's office did. Like I said before, the FBI, the agent, and the prosecutor's agent both interviewed their, their prime suspect at the time and both came with away with two different conclusions. D'Alessio says he's not looking for new information so much as he's just trying to undo some of the damage of working in silos. He'll observe the different aspects of the case to help Burlington City gain a better understanding of it as a whole. Joe Fox said he appreciates law enforcement's efforts in his sister's case. Anything they learn will help. You know, I'd love to know what happened, you know? Right, so you think it would be, it would be helpful to know? Yeah, absolutely. What's and it not like? so much even about, you know, the revenge or whatever. Yeah, no. You know. Right, just to, to know to know. Yeah. Right. He'll get his, or whoever it was will get theirs, you know. Joe said he once believed, as his parents always did, that Margaret would come home. For Joe, 
that has changed over time. Yeah, I think uh, she was going to, you know, and I've had, you know, different people and different, a cousin, you know, um, you know, kind of felt her spirit and stuff like that, you know. I think whoever did it is burning in hell. I truly believe that. The search for answers will carry on now, just as it has for the last 43 years. As a result of recent news coverage of the case, the city is investigating two new tips from the public, and D'Alessio may assist detectives in the follow-up. While D'Alessio acknowledges that the possibility of Margaret still being alive is slim, he wants to remain an optimist. I guess I reviewed the most of the case so far, and to remain an optimist, I want to believe she's alive, and she just put everything behind her and just left her family and started a new life and you know she's happy somewhere and she's thrived and has succeeded but the, the realist in me the police officer in me says she never left now she's been dead since seven. the circumstances where she's buried or how she was killed or a mystery to anyone in this room and as police officers we tend to think the worst. We hope for a happy outcome, but in this case, we, time has passed so so much that the outcome is only going to be, you know, closure for the family where we're going to. So what did happen? I've spent eight weeks absorbing as many details of this case as I could, and I'd have to agree with D'Alessio, Fine, and the others. It's unlikely that Margaret ever left the area. All we can hope for now are new revelations that will bring peace and closure to her family and her community. Ultimately, however, what happened to Margaret Fox remains a mystery, one that's still in the hearts and minds of investigators, 43 years after the fact. 43 Years Gone was reported by Lisa Ryan, edited by Danielle Camilli and Mario Constantino, and produced by Audrey Harvin. David Levinsky assisted with reporting. The music used in the show comes from Joni Mitchell's Down to You. Anyone with information on the whereabouts of Margaret Fox is asked to call the Burlington City Police Department at 609-386-0262. They can ask to speak to the Detectives Bureau. Mike D'Alessio can be reached at mikedalessio at hotmail.com. D'Alessio is spelled D-A-L-E-S-I-O. To contact the Burlington County Times, call News Director Danielle Camilli at 609-871-8077. Thank you for listening.